action. Welcome to Torn Stubbs, the Trash Movie Podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and head of podcast at Trash, which can be found at movetotrash.co.uk. And Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. It Follows is a 2014 teen horror film directed by David Robert Mitchell. We all know that um, sex equals death in teen horror films, but this film gives us a really fun twist on that. Yes. It is about a teenage girl called Jay or Jamie, played by Micah Monroe. And she basically hooks up with a guy. And after they finish their fumble in the backseat of his car, he uh, knocks her out, straps her to a wheelchair, and then basically explains why she is now doomed. Mm -hmm. uh, because he has passed on kind of a, a sexually transmitted haunting whereby people like kind of a, a figure is going to follow you until it gets you basically yeah and when it gets you you're dead and you know the, the the question is can she outrun this strange haunting and what can actually be done to stop it so it's a really cool idea it's like proper high concept but its delivery is so understated and so um kind of almost untethered from reality it's got this really dreamy quality to it um had you but you'd seen this before right i saw it in the cinema all right okay, i saw it in the cinema with um with my boyfriend we weren't boyfriends at the, at the time but we were holding on to each other because it was so it, it's a it's a really intense and, and genuinely scary unnerving experience especially the cinema i saw it at i saw it at the old cinema on haymarket it's now oh, the yeah. Empire, but it was a cine world. Mm. And it's an old theatre, so it's it's kind of spooky and kind of haunted in itself because it doesn't look like a multiplex. There's only three screens there. Yeah. But I loved it. I, I really I fucking about, enjoyed it. Can I tell you my story of watching this film for the first time? Because I just remembered it, and it was really fucking scary. Yes. It was basically a press screening. Um, oh, la-di-da. Yeah, I know, but they played <laughs> a really clever trick. So you know there's that moment in the film where the, the big guy in the white t-shirt just looms through the doorway and kind of comes after the teenagers. Uh, yes, yes. It's a yeah, really yeah. horrible moment. So when that sequence finished, this guy stood up in the audience and just turned around and walked down the aisle and <laughs> left the cinema. And he looked exactly like that giant man in the film. And everyone was just like, oh my God. It was so scary. It was brilliant. Yeah, so clever. As much as I like the film, and it, it is stylistically, it's wonderful. It harks back to when John Carpenter was an interesting filmmaker. It was, yeah. This film is a love letter to John Carpenter. A hundred percent. It's set in John Carpenter's America. It's got that kind of small town, quiet, like sleepy su suburb. Like yeah, like leafy suburban streets. Could be anywhere. Could be anywhere. Yeah. But it's very much a 70s early 80s ish film even though it's set now and you know there's probably a couple well, of mobile is it, phones is well, it set now were there, were there a couple of mobile phones in there because that's a very that's a very clever thing the film does where it it creates a timeless feel by kind of the cars different era of cars are driving around yeah the it's clothing. very early amblin wasn't it like yeah. et 
era. Yeah, but then so one of the characters has a flip phone, but it's shaped like a shell. Or I'm not even sure if it's a phone or if it's oh, like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. an it's e-reader. Like a, yeah, like a, like a Kindle. Yeah, it's like the coolest Kindle you've ever seen that you can't buy, basically. Yeah, but it's definitely not in the 70s, but it's very much could be an alternative reality Mm. But it's not a sci-fi. It is, for all intents and purposes, set in contemporary times. Yeah. But the logic of these spirits just, it completely falls apart as the film goes on. Do you think? Yeah. And the, this is the only time that I'll ever reference Eli, or quote Eli Roth in a positive way. On the Brett East Nellis podcast, he said, it follows everything but its own logic. Mm. So it really does raise... Some questions. It follows. It is obviously referencing the spirit. Hmm. Will it always follow or does it take a break? No, but this is the thing. I don't care about the questions because that's what makes it so interesting and so scary. It's like Michael Myers in Halloween. Like, is he going to get up even if you fire a nuclear missile at him? Probably. You don't know. That's what's so scary. No, this is more intelligent than... Michael Myers, and which is why it's slightly disappointing that they didn't tie all the logics up. But they couldn't because they're teenagers. But the teenagers aren't creating the film. They're not creating the logic. No, but they, they exist within their own very small portion of America where what are you going to do? How are you going to find this stuff out? And it'd be really boring if they went to an occult shop and some creepy guy was like, yes, I've heard of the STD, because what you have to do is <laughs> That's this. Terrifying, Joshua. Eat a banana. <laughs> but no, no, no. They, they don't have to discover the rules themselves, but how the spirit and the logic plays out on screen is completely mm. contradictory. Why? Look, when, when, when we first see the spirit, mm. it's a blonde girl at the back of the cinema. Then it's a sort of, a girl creeping to when when the main character is strapped to the wheelchair, which is that was unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, it was. strapped to the wheelchair. It's a a, a dark haired girl. Then later on, it's another blonde girl. Then a tall guy, like the one you said that was in the cinema. Mm-hmm. Then it's a then it's a girl. Then it's a boy who's like like a like a feral animal, the one that comes through the hole. Mm-hmm. Then it's a naked man on the roof. Why does it keep taking different forms? What, do you want to know the filmmaking reason why or the actual internal logic reason? The actual internal logic reason. I couldn't keep up. Why were were all these different spiritual forms being taken? What was the point? What was the relevance to that girl? Well, the relevance with the final one was that was her dad. Like when you see a picture of her on the mirror with a man, that that is her father. The naked guy on the roof. Yeah, and at the end it is her dad who is trying to kill her in the pool. So there is, there is some kind of twisted logic in there. Like, you don't need to know. Like, at one point, the first... How do you know that was her dad? Because you can see the photo on her mirror. And the dad had and died. the same actor. The, dad the dad's not died? around, is he? You don't know. Right. It is a very adultless film. Yeah, like, yeah. you never see the mum's face. It's always no. hidden. That's like such E.T. A, such a cool yeah. idea. It's not like E.T. She, her mum, the mum plays a huge No, but character. E.T., you, you barely see any adults. And when you do, they're mm. only shot from waist height. The, the camera's never more than... Oh, right. You know, as tall as Elliot. Yeah. Um, but then there's there's a moment where the first moment that Jay sees someone walking towards her, it's like this old woman shuffling in a nightgown. Yeah. And you're like, is that her nan? Like, because it appears as people that you love or, you know, it could be anyone. That's what's so scary about it. It could be anyone in a crowd. And the film plays up to that in both a scary and a funny way. Like when they're all discussing it with the and Jeff the guy. And the band person walks. Um, and have like, you seen that person? Yes. 
It's so <laughs> it's so well done. Yeah, I I get that, but after a while, you do you kind of do want. I want some semblance of logic, which is why I don't get on with the Michael Meyer films mm-hmm. and the Friday the Thirteenth films because they are logicless. There is no logic to those films, even within like people will say there's no logic to superman there's no logic to star wars but at least within the the realms of those films there's still the rules you know han solo can't suddenly start flying because he can't that would be illogical but the fact that he flies the millennium falcon is logical within the realm of star wars but in this film it's completely illogical that you could pass on a curse by fucking (laughs) and even then it's what what kinds of fucking is it just you know, cisgendered male to female vaginal sex? Is it anal sex? Anal sex? Is it oral sex? Is it a hand job? Is it heavy petting, kissing? What is it the sperm that's that's passing it on? Mm-hmm. And I get that we as an audience will probably never learn that because the, the characters won't necessarily learn that. The doctor can't suddenly, like you said, you can't suddenly have this little old wizard guy <laughs> say you know don't feed after midnight yeah. or go get me cigarettes or something or whatever but you know as they, you know they could they could stick to their own logic more than they were maybe i don't know i think it, it depends on your taste really i think that in the the way the film works is that it functions as this kind of weird dreamy nightmare where you don't know the answers and there's nothing more terrifying than that. It's like, what if there's someone following you? It could be anyone and you have no idea what to do about it. Yeah. And that's the reason that, that I think Eli Roth also probably talked about the logic of it because at the end, the great climax doesn't make any sense. Even the director, um, David Robert Mitchell, has said it's the worst, it's the stupidest plan ever because it's just made up by kids. It's kids going, what the yeah. fuck are we going to do? They do kind of go from being really bland almost non-characters because yeah. you know in most horror films you know the the acting and the hamminess is dialed up to 11 here it's taken right down to zero yeah i'm i'm surprised that these guys even knew the cameras were rolling yeah there was it's almost like a non-performance it's it's very much like a larry clark film where you kind of start thinking am i watching the fiction or am i watching a documentary have you seen kids oh no i haven't seen that no so it's this very natural and it's very unpretentious and just seemingly real. Mm. And that's how I felt with this. But then when they switched to the swimming pool scene, boom, it was like the Goonies or Home Alone. Yeah. yeah. And it jarred ever so slightly. Mm. But I guess it does it does sort of incorporate into that dream that dreaminess that the film has, because it has this it is the it is a very slow intense film and i would imagine there's probably only like 70 shots in the entire film (laughs) yeah it's it's it really is you know long long takes long zooms at times the camera just goes from the left to the right as if someone is stood still scanning left scanning right looking for the person they need Mm -hmm. to follow then it carries on Mm -hmm. not in an obvious you know point of view view, michael myers (laughs) kind of shot yeah it's really subtle and it's very 70s. I hadn't yeah. seen the use of those long... And it's not, it's not always a pan or, or a track. It's a zoom. It's a zoom mm. on a long lens, which is a gorgeous thing to do. It's so great. There's that shot when uh, the camera's standing in like a the school hall, I think, in the hallway. And it pans slowly around and then zooms through a door into 
an office or a classroom where our main character is. Yes. It's so beautifully made. Yeah. I mean, I wonder how many takes, but yeah, just gorgeous, gorgeous cinematography without being showy. This isn't Roger Deakins, who's mm. a brilliant cinematographer, but you know, you know, you can look at a Roger Deakins film and go, that's a Roger Deakins film. That's a mm. Roger Deakins shot. Mm-hmm. It's not, a, you know, Quentin Tarantino shooting death proof in a certain way. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, sticking within the rules, but playing those rules really well. It's like, mm. like people can only play three chords on a, on a guitar, like status quo. Yeah. They do what everyone else does, but they do it so well and to their own style. Yeah. It's set in a, it's set in an America that you recognize from the movie. So it looks very realistic and even like slightly bland. Um, but then there's always like a little, little kind of twist of intrigue in there somewhere. So like in Jay's bedroom, it's just a box down a bedroom, but on, on her dresser, she has those gorgeous kind of lit up lily flower lamp things that are kind of pink and just strange. And it just adds this kind of little curiosity throughout the film. Also, the other great thing is that it does have this like expansive frame that makes it feel big and rich and and kind of like like an epic feel to it. It's got a very deep frame, but that works so well because it, it it encourages like audience participation. It encourages you to constantly be looking into the background constantly searching for someone who's moving towards the camera yes and it makes you feel that you are tar- you're targeted you're part of the the haunting well it gives you an idea that this this thing that is following can come from anywhere and yeah. in the beach scene it does yeah in the beach scene you know they're chatting and suddenly in the background there's someone walking in our camera character direction mm. but it's just, it's not a case of the, the the filmmakers are highlighting that there is someone there. It's just background yeah. action. And then suddenly it's coming closer and then suddenly it disappears from our view as the audience yeah. because our view switches to the friend's view who can't see the spirit and then a hair lifts up and they're being attacked by something. Yeah. That scene was the most terrifying when I saw it the first time round. What? So that you thought that was scarier than when they were in the house? Hundred percent. Really? Yeah, because there was no way of. But they're they're out in the open, outside, and yeah. because they switch to the the unknown eye, they they switch to the you know her friends who can't see the 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 demon or the the, the spirit. That that's terrifying when you can't see. And I've spoken about. I think I spoke about it on the witch episode. No, I spoke about it on the Blair Witch episode. That I don't believe in ghosts and ghouls and spirits and demons. But because I know a fair bit about religion because of my education and sort of upbringing, the the thing that terrifies me is almost taking your eye off the ball. What if, what Mm. if always plays on my head? What if I lure myself into such a a sense of security that boom, suddenly a demon comes out of nowhere because I wasn't expecting it. It really is that, the unknown. And if something is there next to me but because i can't see it they could that demon could do anything they want and i think that that's that's quite a human fear you know when we lie in bed in the dark and we're on our own Mm. and our brain is telling us there is something in the corner over there there is something under the bed we can't see it it's that unknown yeah then that's terrifying and you're doing it to yourself a lot of the time unless somebody somebody yeah (laughs) 
pretty much it's just you. It's your own mind going, oh, there could be somebody over there. Well, that, is it my own mind or do I have to leave myself a 5% buffer to go, well, there could be a demon. I need to be prepared. That for me, and that is why that beach scene was the most terrifying because they couldn't see what was going on. But then the problem was when they did see, when, when the cameras for the audience, for us, switched back to showing us the demon... One of them was a bit of a cliche, just a kid who was then biting towards the camera. Yeah, that that felt like an outtake from Children of the Corn. It was didn't really have a place in the film. No. Also because it was a kid. I assumed that all of the grown-ups, I mean, all of the all the, the spirit things are all grown-ups. And that's a one time as a kid. Why did you assume that? I guess because it's a sexually transmitted disease. I was like, surely it can only be grown-ups because grown-ups The kid have might have sex. been raped. Well, yeah, maybe that's why he was so weird and kind of fucked up facially. Because, like, he had weird dark eyes and, like, massive teeth, didn't he? Well, he was just standard horror yeah. thing. Yeah. It's like they went casting 101. We need a ghost kid. Oh, make this him, kid will do. Make him as skinny and as white as possible. Yeah. Like yeah. me. <laughs> like me. <laughs> Size zero, baby. Size zero. What did you think about the use of water? What? As in the, the swimming pool scene? Well, throughout the film... Water is like a recurrent visual kind of what well, thing. That there's a swimming pool scene there by the beach. But the first time you see Jay, she's floating in a backdoor pool. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's lots of violence at the beach. There's the girl at the start who dies by the water in the beach. She's also, oh, yes. Jay yes. is attacked, obviously, in the beach, as we just talked about. Um, there's a moment... So where so obviously there's the confrontation in the swimming in pool, the swimming pool yeah, yeah. and then directly after that there's a sex scene in with the pouring rain outside. It's all really I didn't notice it until this time. This is the third time I've watched it, and I've always had a real problem with the the climax, the fight in the swimming pool because I just thought she goes off to the beach and she fucks those guys on the boat. Yeah, she goes out into the water yeah. to spread it around. Yeah, I never noticed that. What do you yeah. think it could mean? Well, because surely water is like purity or purification. Washing your washing your sins away. It's rebirth. It's like yeah. it's like Jesus Christ baptism, rebirth yeah. type stuff. So that's why actually this time I watched it. I've always been like, oh, the third act is shit. But watching it this time, noticing all that water visuals that kept going on, I was like, mm, that does actually make sense in a kind of a a dream logic visual way. Yeah. That everything everything weird that has been going on has actually in- included water in some way in a lot, a lot of times. So to try to dispatch it in water, it fits perfectly in with the logic of the film. And I actually prefer yeah, it see a lot that. more this time. I can see that. Yeah. What do you think of the long head guy? Who, oh, yeah. when she's in hospital after crashing the car and she's got a broken arm and he comes along and fucks her. Yeah. What do you think his motivation is? You don't really know, do you? You kind of get the sense that he wants to be a hero. He's decided that he's like the 80s hero in this outfit because mm. he chases them into the park and then he's like, I'm going to get my car and just decides to drive them someplace. For, doesn't even really know why. Um, obviously, he's getting kind of sexual gratification out of it. But I think he's that, that guy who thinks, fancies himself as a bit of a hero. But is he just chancing it for a fuck? Yeah, because he doesn't really believe it, does he? I don't think he even saw after, anything. Even they, afterwards. Well, on the beach attack, he was off having a piss and he missed all the, the oh. fun and frolics of 
you know, her hair being pulled, the other one who's actually in love with her, the skinny one who gets the fucker at the end, mm. he smacks her, smacks the ghost across the back with a chair and he gets like cut yeah. in the stomach. Paul, Paul, we were rooting for Paul. But he, it. but the long haired guy misses all that. So he doesn't get to see it. So yeah. is he just chancing this for a fuck? Probably. And who the fuck is he anyway? Why? They it's, seem to have this weird he's a connection. Well, because they, they had sex before the year before. Did they? Yeah, she says, oh, we, we had sex before. It wasn't a big thing. I really was, I really was like rooting for poor old Paul, played by <laughs> Keir Gilchrist. He's See, the, so skinny, the skinny nerdy kid. Yeah, so, so he's just like infatuated with her and he just wants to help her and do the right thing. It's just a bonus that helping her means he gets to bone her. <laughs> so, yeah, but then he goes yeah. off and fucks a prostitute. Yeah, in his dad's car and, and his dad's jacket, seemingly, as well. It's really weird. Really? It looks like he's wearing his dad's jacket. It's like this oversized kind of manly jacket. The long-haired um, guy dies in a very incestual way. Yeah, incestuous. Yeah, it's like yeah. his mum. Yeah, but that's what, they, that's what the guy said. The, you know, when they go to find Jeff, he says it can show up as anyone it wants. It could be, you know, people you love. And... But if that's the case, has the spirit taken the form of his mum or mm. has the spirit embodied her her body Possessed her. because yeah because he he opens up and says what is it mum what do you want and then you know her tits out and then she jumps in mm. like a werewolf yeah she does that's the only time you see her actually killing yeah but also it's weird because you know prior to that scene when the main girl is across the street looking and she can see someone walking up the street and then break in. It looks like he's breaking into his own home. Yeah, it does look just like him. It looks just like him. And I, I don't know if that's meant to be like that. I don't know if that is suggesting that it is actually him because I thought he was sleepwalking or something. But then it turns out it's the it following him. <laughs> the it follows. The it follows. Did you know that there, there was talk of a sequel? Well, um, this is something that I, I, I really wanted to bring up. Hmm. That I'm glad it's not Blumhouse. Oh yeah, because they would have made one. It would have been ridiculous. It would just. Yeah. It would have been. It would have been endless. It would have been one a year. It would have gone like it follows again. It still follows. Or you know, it follows you. It follows me. Yeah. yeah. And then you know they would go into like it follows Requiem. It follows <laughs> Redemption. And then they would do. They would go right. But well, this is it. We're seven years in now. We're going to do a prequel that explains everything, and it'll yeah. explain everything to death. It'll just be called the First Follows. <laughs> Why is there a sequel happening? Well, there was talk of doing a sequel. I don't know if it's actually going to happen, but the producer talked about it a few years ago and he was saying, switch the title around and that would be the sequel. So then following it back Follows through, it. Follow it, I guess he meant. <laughs> <laughs> For the pedantic Do we need an apostrophe audience. or not? Follows, is it? Follow hyphen it. Follows, semicolon, is it? <laughs> But that's what I thought that they would have done in this film is follow it back through the people. So who did you sleep with before? When Who did you get it from? Okay, who did you get it from? Okay, who did that's you get it really from? That's really weird because whenever the gum clinic, when they say, you know, you oh, read yeah, your pamphlets exactly. and they say, oh, if you've been, you know, if you've contracted gonorrhea or whatever, you need to start telling your your past partner so they can tell their past partners. It's like, you know, the ripples. It's like, fuck, it's like the ripples in the water. <laughs> We cracked yeah, it. We've cracked the code. Maybe that's why the water is such an important part. Yeah, possibly. They are. It's a ripple effect. One person gets it, they give it to somebody else. And it just keeps on going. Shit. Good night, New York. <laughs> Good night. Thank you. Nailed it. Nailed it. D 
did you <laughs> did you like the music yes i mean that's a stupid question of I know, course sorry. I did. you know I <laughs> you know it because we send each other things like that all the time <laughs> fucking loved the music and the music is the thing that was the one of the most hypnotic things because yeah. whilst whilst the image is quite still just on you know like a scene or whatever that's just you know a boring suburban scene the the soundtrack and the music which are very blurred hmm. most of the times you can go this is the soundtrack this is the music or this is the soundscape this is the soundtrack here it is very blurred much like it's very blurred on Dunkirk that's that kind of is that kind of mix going on here it was very hypnotic and very it was just te- it was terrifying oh, it wasn't God. scary it was terrifying if you were suddenly stood in you know if you were walking in in where you know where you come from where I live similar you know similar areas very suburban can be quite dark you know there's certain songs I can't listen to when I'm walking home <laughs> yeah you know I can't listen to certain Alice Cooper songs because they are terrifying yeah you can't listen to that soundtrack unless you are in a brightly lit room with other people. Yeah. And you need to know who every single person is because you don't want you don't want to suddenly go, guys, can you see that girl? Hang on a minute. <laughs> who is that girl? Yeah. I actually, I bought this soundtrack after I'd seen the film because I loved it so much, but I can't really listen to it. Like I listen to it when I'm writing, but even because then... Because it's in the background. Because, I mean, it's in my ears. But even then, it would just suddenly go... Wow, you're what? like you're like Motor, Motor Mouth Jones from Police Academy. <laughs> I love the bit where it's like blum 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 blum. Yes, like like water drops. Fuck, like drops of water. Do you think that the curse? If you if you walked out in front of a bus and got run over, is that the end of the curse? No, because. Would it go back to the one before you? Yeah, I, I reckon 100%. Yeah. I don't think the, the spirit needs to kill the person. It just needs... Somebody to follow. It just yeah, it needs someone to follow. So if someone's eliminated, it just goes to the next person in the list. The thing about this film, it goes back to what you mentioned in the Don't Breathe episode about is that horror? Yes. And, you know, are the lines being blurred? I think that this is like, this is like a dread movie. It's not, it's not necessarily horror because you don't really see anything apart from... You know that that horrific first bit with the broken leg, and also the um, the the mum who kills the long haired boy. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, but it's more about dread. It's more yes. about fear. It's like th- it's like, about the anticipation before the act. It, yeah, yeah. It's all about kind of fear of sex, fear of death. How those two things are always intertwined. Love and you know, sex and death are always going to be intertwined. Yes, um, and it's about like it's weird that you said the expanse of the shot earlier because that made me think of Lawrence Arabia and it's that great scene where David Lean keeps the the scene and the camera angle wide mm. and just on the horizon is this dot and as it gets closer you realize it's a man and a camel it's a man <laughs> on a camel and he's walking and it's Omar Sharif yeah that is this film. Yeah, it's coming at you. It's a dot on the horizon that is walking towards you. And is it walking towards you because that's where that person is going? Or is that person a spirit and it's following you? It's targeting you. Yeah, And it's the anticipation of it coming towards you and you having to make that decision. Mm. For a film that is all about moving away from something coming towards you, mm. it doesn't fall into the old 
cliche of a girl screaming and wildly running everywhere and falling over and running upstairs and running downstairs. It yeah. seems genuinely genuine. Yeah, like Jay Jay's a character who feels like a real person. She's not a horror heroine. Yeah. She's not kind of like, oh my God, I'm being followed. Right, where's my chainsaw? She kind of, she sobs, she cries, she's annoying, she moans. She like ends up collapsed on the floor, just like rocking around. And like that feels more interesting and way more kind of sympathetic and empathetic that was gonna be my next question can she be forgiven for the things that she does to other people in this film yeah i know you know she lets the 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 long-haired guy fuck her and that Mm. passes the curse on to him and he dies she gives it to the guys on the boat she gives it to the nerdy kid so she's doing things she's essentially submitting them to death or whatever the word is. Committing them to death. Yeah. But she... But I think that by that point... I mean, yeah, it's really difficult to kind of condone that and understand that. But by that point, she is so thoroughly traumatised. Like, she didn't She didn't ask to be given this thing either. No. She's completely traumatised and she is acting like she's got PTSD and she's kind of almost committing suicide through committing other people to death. She's kind of... It's like she she's kind of that's her way out, and it's a delay really. It's isn't a delayed it? reaction. Yeah, it's, it's, well, it's a delay, a delay to, to you know to her inevitable death. Exactly, and that's yeah. what that last shot really. That that I I like the ambiguity. I like the ambiguity of the end shot where you don't know has the prostitute that he's passed it on to died, and that being that thing behind that person behind is actually following him, and once he dies it'll transfer back to her and yeah. everything she said in place, all the lives that have been destroyed by her act is for nothing. Yeah. If they did a sequel, would it begin with him dying and her finding out and being like, oh, fuck. I don't want a sequel. No, I don't want a I sequel I think it's either. just, it, it's not a perfect movie, but it's perfect as it is without, without it being watered down. It doesn't need that. Ah, oh, well done. Yeah. It doesn't need that. <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) So that was It Follows, directed by David Robert Mitchell. Have you seen It Follows? Did it follow you? Did you follow it? Follow it back? Does it follow you back? (laughs) (laughs) You should follow us on Twitter, (laughs) at TornStumpsPod. And also, jump on Apple Podcasts, subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you like film, culture, and music, head to movetotrash.co.uk. We're off to follow it. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut!